You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Well, I hope everybody had a fantastic weekend. I know I did. I'm assuming Lars did. He had his children. And Justin Jones is our producer. A lot of things to go over as this is the week that freshmen and transfers and incoming report, like for the University of Alabama, that will be on Wednesday, the 2nd, and then Fan Days next weekend, which means uh, you go through the SEC Media Days and then this reports, and then we're really full-blown into the college football season, which makes everyone on this show and listening to this show very, very happy. And we'll talk more about what Alabama's going to be doing this week uh, and, and their incoming freshmen and so forth with Johnny Cogden at the bottom of the hour. He is with ABC 3340 in Birmingham, Alabama. But, Lars, I wanted to lead with all-time really good, nice guy winning a tournament, and that's Lee Hodges. University of Alabama won the 3M in Minnesota yesterday. And I've never met him personally, but I know others that have. And they said in the, uh, the common... The common old cliche, couldn't happen to a nicer guy um, because he's truly, truly one of, uh, you know, a, a guy that respects the game, respects everybody around him, and yet there's another uh, Alabama golfer topping the charts. Yeah, uh, just a really, really impressive uh, four days for Lee Hodges. Uh, shot a 67 in the final round, and uh, he went wire to wire at the 3M Open uh, in, in, in Blaine, Minnesota. It's his first PGA Tour victory and set tournament records with uh, hitting uh, with a, a two, two, 260 uh, overall, 260 strokes. It's the lowest in tournament history. And also he won by seven, which also is, is a record. And it just shows you that the, it, the PGA Tour is so deep in talent. And just it, any guy, any weekend can rise up and just dominate the field. And, and I know that this wasn't the most star-studded field. Uh, many of the top players in, in the world and the United States specifically sat this one out because they had just got you know uh, done playing the British Open. But um, nonetheless, uh, he really um, you know stole the show. And heading into the week, heading into the tournament on Thursday, you would have thought, you know, the Alabama golfer who's going to make news uh, this weekend is going to be JT, uh, JT, Justin Thomas, but uh, ended up being Lee Hodges. And uh, man, he he just absolutely blew away the field. Uh, he's 28, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, this is uh, going to. Uh, lead to to bigger and better things and it often does with these guys once they get the first victory it's like they learn how to win they learn how to manage the pressure and uh, and Hodges was uh, certainly able to do that and uh, and and cruise to a, a real easy victory I'm glad to see it and by the way he is from Huntsville Alabama which that also is very very cool but I look at uh, his age, and what is uh, what is JT? Is he twenty nine? They what, they had to have played at Alabama at the same time. What a team! Probably, uh, yeah. And there's another guy on there that's flirting with the tour now. That was also a member of the Alabama golf team at that time. 
But uh, really glad to see that as Hodges goes on to win. And unfortunately, as we talked about on Friday with JT, um, I didn't check that for it was minus two. He was below the cut line, but I don't think he made the cut for the weekend. So um, I think things are tough for the Alabama golfer, but he's a tough guy too, and he'll fight back. Did you do anything fun over the weekend, Lars? You throw the kids in the pool? What's going uh, on? <laughs> no, we um, we survived. I mean, I was in survival mode, just making sure that uh, nobody ended up going to the ER, uh, and no one did. Made a couple trips to Dunkin' Donuts. They love that. Uh, they really love going through a, a car wash. That's their new thing. They they enjoy that very very much. We could go through a car wash all day long. Um, really? But uh, yeah. Um, and uh, no, it was it was nice. We had a really nice time and uh, did some arts and crafts uh, with my girls and, and with Lincoln. Um, and it was just, um, it's sometimes the best weekends are just when you stay, you stay inside and, uh, and you just, um, you know, play silly games and draw silly pictures. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no, we had, we had a fun time, but I tell you, I I think the winner this weekend. I've got to ask you a question real quick, real quick. Is that why you got the monthly pass to the Car that's wash a, down the that's exactly right. Yes. So you could just keep taking your car through there? Yeah, um, over and over and over and over. I remember uh, taking one of my children through there, and it was Madison, my middle child, little girl. And, uh, she just lost it. And there's no way to get out of a car wash. No. She was crying so hard. Those those you know those floppy sponge things that come over. She said, monster, monster. Um, much different. Damn, Fair and Lincoln and Company. So anyway, all right. I interrupted you. What were you going to say about over the weekend? Uh, I was going to say I, I think the the biggest winner in the state of Alabama the, this weekend was Hugh Freeze, uh, and uh, I'm sure you saw it on Saturday that uh, five star wide receiver Perry Thompson who had uh, verbally committed to Alabama flipped to Auburn and he is one of the best wide receivers in the class of 2024. He is ranked uh, by 24-7 sports as the number two player in the state of Alabama, number 14 in the country and um, he really is one of the highest ranked commits in the history of Auburn football and it just so happened when the announcement was made that Hugh Freeze was with some of his players and they threw him into a pool. <laughs> uh, and it was like, yeah. And, and so that was pretty, uh, pretty neat moment for, for Hugh Freeze. And, uh, you know, does this signal anything more than just, you know, the fact that that Freeze, at least for now, and there's still a lot of time but between now and when the papers are actually signed, um, but is this a moment that we're going to remember as, you know, Hugh Freeze sort of <clears throat> firing his first shot over the the bow of uh, Nick Saban's ship at Alabama and, um, you know, just uh, saying, hey, we, we've definitely arrived here. Um, I mean, Thompson looks like a very uh, special player and, um, you know, he's the type of guy who could, could do very well in a Hugh Freeze type of offense. And, 
again, that that to me that makes makes Hugh Freeze the 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 winner of uh, of the weekend here. But uh, we'll see if if uh, Auburn can hold on to this commitment. You know that Nick Saban and his staff won't stop the recruiting. But nonetheless, uh, this is a, a major coup for Hugh Freeze. Well, I have a couple of questions, and unfortunately, in the short amount of time that NIL has been around, this is something that pops into my mind. We're not even close three years ago. But you wonder, uh, was there an NIL money that that was uh, provided, even though I don't think that's inside the rules, although everybody's doing it, so I, I guess it is. But really, my main question here, Lars, is, is this something that Alabama may have to deal with wide receivers all across the nation. And for the next few years, as Alabama kind of comes closer to the line of scrimmage, do you think that had anything to do with Perry Thompson? I'm sure that it did in the recruitment. I'm sure that that was mentioned. Well, you know, they're not going to be throwing the ball like we're going to be throwing the ball. By the way, my name's Hugh Freeze. Remember Malik Willis? Have you seen me play? Have you seen Chad Kelly? Did you know we beat Alabama twice? Uh, I'm, I'm sure all of those things, Hugh Freeze, not Auburn, although Auburn's beaten twice too. But anyway, uh, I just wonder if more so than the NIL, I wonder if uh, Perry Thompson flipped because he knew that Auburn may throw it 20 times more a game than Alabama does. I think that that's possible that it played into it. Um, I also think that uh, Perry Thompson looked at the wide receiver room at Alabama and he looked at the wide receiver room at Auburn and where's there going to be more opportunity? There's going to be more opportunity at Auburn uh, because Alabama is, is stacked. I mean, I, I know we haven't seen it. We didn't see it last year, but they have so much young talent and they already have uh, Rico Scott, uh, another uh, highly, highly touted wide receiver in the class of 2024. But this is very rare. I mean, it's very rare for uh, a five-star to uh, flip uh, in, inside the state, uh, going from Alabama to Auburn. And uh, it, it, I mean, it, it actually, if, either way, when a, a five star, five stars rarely flip uh, from Auburn to Alabama or Alabama to Auburn. It's just happened a, a, ha- a handful of times uh, in in recent memory. And I'm thinking about guys like uh, Cyrus Quanjo, uh, T.J. Yeldon, <clears throat> and Reuben Foster. They all flipped from Auburn to. Alabama and Foster is the most memorable, uh, of course, because he had the uh, the tattoo of the Auburn logo on his arm <laughs> when when he he committed, and then uh, that seemed like, hey, there's no way that Reuben Foster is going anywhere other than Auburn, and well, next thing you know, he goes to Alabama, he goes. and and man, he just was was a beast, and he was a beast in the USFL this last season, and. Uh, I don't think I've to... seen him sign anywhere, and I figured he would have been one of the people to have done that, or maybe I just missed it. I'll try and look it up during the break. As you listen to Big Dune Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.
Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A little more comfortable this afternoon, but it won't last long. Partly cloudy, hot and humid this afternoon. Slight chance of an afternoon shower storm. We're topping out around 95 today, dropping down to 71 overnight tonight. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and hot. A small chance of an afternoon shower storm and a daytime high of 93. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 89 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. My producer is Justin Jones. Justin, turn your mic on, man. Are you okay? How'd your weekend go? I bet you you played golf at least once. I wish I played golf at least once. I actually had a lot of uh, (laughs) events going on with my church, so we were helping them this weekend. And then I slept about 20 hours yesterday, so. (laughs) Wow, how old are you? I did the same thing, but I'm 65. I have an old soul, as they say. (laughs) You must, well, uh, tip of the the cap for uh, contributing to your church. I think we all try and do that, and that's a a wonderful thing. Guys, um, listening this morning and then, like, reading some of the articles last week, I've just gotten to the point where I, I'm losing a lot of respect for Sean Payton. You know, he was the longtime New Orleans head coach, won a Super Bowl there with Drew Brees. Uh, Then, of course, he went through Payton Gate, Sean Gate, whatever that was. Bounty Gate, I guess is what they called it. But he got into Denver, and then he is just absolutely trashing the former coach, Nathaniel Hackett. And it got to the point where Aaron Rodgers who had played with, you know, under Hackett in the past, said, hey, you're out of bounds, man. This is inappropriate. I've never liked it when a coach replaced another coach and they kicked him out the door and threw dirt on him. 
And I don't know that I've seen it done to the extent, Lars, that Sean Payton has. But it really, I think you can tell, it got, it's gotten under my skin. And I've always been kind of a Broncos fan. But I'm sure not a Sean Payton fan going into the 23-24 season. Yeah, and it was interesting to see Aaron Rodgers def- defend uh, Hackett, who's now his coach, uh, with the Jets. And uh, Aaron went hard after Sean Payton. And as I was seeing the interview in the in the clip with uh, Aaron saying all this, I was just like, "Who is this guy?" He he took a he took a pay cut. Aaron Rodgers since he's been a Jet, okay, he took a pay cut. He's been hanging out with his uh, uh, his teammates socially, right, all around New York. We've just seen pictures of him everywhere. And now he's defending his coach. It's like, wait a minute. When did Aaron Rodgers turn into like, the best being. and become <laughs> the best teammate in the history of teammates? Uh, and But yeah, really inappropriate really inappropriate from uh from Peyton and uh, Sean Peyton and I I don't know what he was thinking uh I think Aaron Rodgers just absolutely nailed it when he said essentially that he's trying to minimize expectations and so when things don't go well he can blame it on the previous coaching regime and uh I've never been a huge Sean Peyton fan uh frankly but um you know, I, I I think he knew more about Bounty Gate than he ever let on, uh, and uh, but I don't have any evidence of that. I mean, I, I think that he was sort of tacitly condoning dirty play, um, and uh, oh, he was encouraging it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know exactly like what his involvement was as as compared to uh, the defensive coordinator. Um, God, I can't remember his name right that, now. That's true. I guess I, I threw him under the bus, but it sure sounds like he knew about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I always go back to, to Bruce Arians because I, I had spent so much time with Bruce. Essentially, you know, he helped. I spent time with him for one book and wrote a book with him. And I can never imagine Bruce saying that in a public setting about another coach. Now, in private, do coaches talk about other coaches? Of course. Cut them up. Yeah, because <laughs> it's it's a very what, – what I learned very quickly is that the NFL, especially if you are a longtime coach, it is in a very small community. These guys all know each other. They all – they know each other very well uh, because there are times when the, they'll – you know, seek each other out for just ad- advice um, on on different issues, and uh, you know they also um, you know they they battle against each other. Yet in the off season, they all hang out with one another, which makes it really weird. But um, and so for and, and and I just think there's this sort of unwritten code. Uh, and we've talked about the unwritten rules in baseball, but in this in this case, there's an unwritten code that you don't go after other coaches for their job performance. You know, you, the last thing you want to do is uh, uh, certainly, you know, Nathaniel Hackett has been absolutely crushed in the media and crushed in Denver. 
it, 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 you know, you and I aren't didn't cover Denver day in and day out last year, but it was an unmitigated disaster. But was that because Russell Wilson, uh, like, suddenly is, is over the hill, or did he have other things going on in his life uh, that uh, that that uh, were affecting him on the field? Um, I, I know that uh, one of his closest sort of advisors, uh, someone who's worked at Alabama, uh, he passed away, and I think that had a big impact on Russell. But it, again, like other coaches, just don't do that. And I, I don't know what uh, Sean Payton's motivation was. Maybe he was just being flippant, you know, and uh, and just thinking that uh, uh, maybe he was trying to be funny. But it wasn't funny. I I, I don't know. Uh, I do know. Yeah, you that do. I'll, I'll interrupt you here. You do know. You said it. It's it's to throw out that uh, he wants to cover CYA early yeah, before the first yeah. snap. I, I, yeah. I think that's a great point you made. And uh, I wonder. You mentioned other coaches in the and the NFL head coaches is yeah a very small fraternity. But wonder how they're thinking uh, on the air and off the air about what he's saying. Because uh, he really has cut this guy up. And I will say this, too, and get your response. Um, NFL head coaches that, uh, let me say this bluntly, a lot of them are just weird. I mean, <laughs> is Bill Belichick a weirdo? Man, that's a yeah. strange individual. He is I don't a very strange Parcell, individual. I watched a little of the Parcells and Belichick thing. Parcells... He's kind of an odd dude, too. Obviously, Sean Payton is. Uh, they all have a weird twist to them. But um, we'll see how this works out. Um, if they go, what, 4-13 uh, and 13 this year, can he go 90-90 boo-boo, I told you so? Well, and the, the thing is that this, this franchise is the Broncos. They're really sort of hamstrung because they gave up so much draft capital to get Russell Wilson. And so it's going to be very difficult for this team to rebuild the right way. And that is always through the draft. I mean, you, you can't lean on free agency to uh to 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 build a team. I mean, it just doesn't work that way because you need guys on their first contracts. So you you have them at a relatively cheap price, so you can go out and and sign a few key uh, guys who are getting into that second contract who are elite proven players. But if you uh, if you don't have uh, that core of young players on the first contract, you can't do that. And so Denver's in a, it's in a bad they're in a bad situation. And they oh by the way they have a quarterback that absolutely stunk last year, and that's the guy that they you know one they gave him a huge contract, and and two they gave up a ton a ton to get him. <laughs> And uh, I mean, why, why why you would ever do that for a uh, a guy who is um, you know uh, borderline over the hill, uh, or at least entering like you know the last phase of his career? Because you know the Jets. What did the Jets give up for Aaron Rodgers? Not much. What like a second round draft pick or something? Like they they didn't give up hardly anything. Uh, whereas uh, Denver, uh, they they gave a king's ransom to get Russell Wilson, but um, yeah, you, you just don't do what Sean Payton did 
and I, uh, I just, um, he, I know that I, I think it's week five that the Jets play uh, Denver, and this will certainly be brought up during that week. And uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers went in as far to say that Nathaniel Hackett it might be my all-time favorite coach I've ever worked with. Um, and that's saying something for a guy who's been in the league as long as Aaron Rodgers. So um, I think it's also going to have uh, what what causes a family to come together faster than anything else. It's when somebody oh, yeah. attacks the family, oh, right? Yeah. And the, and the Jets feel like attacked now, and they're closing ranks around a guy who is by all he did not do a great job last year. But he doesn't need we don't need Sean Payton to tell us that. But I, I think this could actually have a galvanizing effect for the Jets. I mean, I, I just don't I don't understand anything about Sean Payton other than I think he is one arrogant dude. And I've always he thought that. definitely just <laughs> way over the top in the ego department. Um, I will say this, though. He can coach football a little bit. Johnny Ogden of ABC 3340 Sports will be joining us on the other side of the break as you listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Down to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Justin and interviews concerning the University of Alabama football, basketball, baseball, really just about anything about Alabama are presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. Proud to bring on Johnny Cognon, who has uh, been with us, started picking up with us during the uh, SEC media days. We hadn't spoken since then. Um, how are you, Johnny? And uh, did you bring anything home from Nashville? Literally, physically? <laughs> no, not really. I was only there for the final two days. Um, I got to speak with Dick Saban and the Crimson Tide. I missed Auburn. I was actually traveling back from Italy, believe it or not, where I got stranded in Naples because of a countrywide airport worker strike. So that, uh, that threw a wrench in my plans. But no, the only thing I brought back from Nashville was a desire to sleep for 48 hours. And uh, I absolutely did that. <laughs> but I'm a... Uh, I'm fired up. I'm refreshed. Just got out of UAB camp and uh, ready to cover some uh, high school and college football next few weeks. Yeah. Tell us uh, a little bit more. What did yeah, you say about UAB? Yeah. Is that one of your? Uh, is that going to be one of your beats, so to speak? Uh, you know, I remember my. Oh yeah, too, always we covered it's, everything. Yeah, we still do everything. UAB, Jacksonville State, Stanford, on top of Alabama and Auburn, little Birmingham Southern now and again. So we. Um, we just got out of UAB practice. We went this morning and this afternoon. We went back to talk to head coach Trent Dilfer, of course. Everyone knows Dilfer from his time, Super Bowl champion with the Ravens, and then, of course, on Monday Night Football for a number of years, working on Monday Night Countdown for ESPN. So, I mean, he's brought a real sense of excitement back to this UAB program. Although they've been going to bowl games and winning bowl games as of late, you haven't really felt the buzz that Blazer football can bring, and uh, Dilfer's certainly uh, had a shot in the arm of the program. So we just talked to them in camp. I know we'll be out in Tuscaloosa later this week, and then, of course, we'll head down to Auburn. So we kind of uh, we spread ourselves thin. We go all over the state. We're, we're trying to cover a little bit of everything. 
Yeah, today is uh, UAB's uh, first day of camp, if I'm not uh, incorrect. Yeah. And um, what are, what are your big picture thoughts on Trent Dilfer? We we've spent a lot of time analyzing the hire and and analyzing sort of everything that he has done up to this point while being the head coach at UAB. Just to, what what are your thoughts on Trent? Well, the day he was hired, it, it took all of us by complete shock. Usually you, you hear little whispers, they float out and you hear some candidates that might be up for the job. I thought Skip Holt who had success with the Birmingham Stallions that first year winning the championship. I was like, well, that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. He coached the Louisiana Tech. We had heard his name. We heard a handful of others. Obviously, Brian Benson, who was the interim for Bill Clark, he did a pretty solid job. I know they lost some road games and they, they, they couldn't seem to keep the football. That was an issue. Turnovers that played them later in the year. But we thought he had a a real puncher's chance. The players liked me and supported the boosters. But when Trent Dilfer was hired, I mean, it, it, it reminded me a lot of like when Alabama hired Avery Johnson to coach the basketball program back in 2014, 2015, around that area, where it's a big name, been on television, been on a national stage, and it's certainly going to have a lot of notoriety. Now, I looked at it, I don't believe it's without risk. I think it's a high risk, high reward kind of hire because, as Jeff Spiegel said last night on the zone on ABC 3240, uh, Dilfer loves himself some Trent Dilfer. He likes to talk about <laughs> him, his program, his history, his costume. But he told everybody in Dallas in uh, AAC Media Days, and, quote, I don't care. And he tried to say it as respectfully as possible. He doesn't care what we think on the radio right now. He doesn't care what's in the headlines or the, the Birmingham uh, papers and the AL.com. He, he does not care one bit. He says he just cares about the team in his room. And I think it was uh, Ryan Brown and Doug Segrist who come on with us every week. They say usually the people that are screaming how much they don't care well they secretly do i think they're reading press clippings behind the uh, behind the scenes but dilfer is a unique hire in the sense that he's done it as a player where he obviously wasn't the world's greatest quarterback but he was good enough to lead that Ravens team to the super bowl in 2000 behind one of the greatest defenses in nfl history he's been very successful on espn when he was an analyst he, he was not afraid which i have a lot of respect for anybody in this business that just tells it how it is and you come with the take. Anybody can get on the radio or can get on TV and just, you know, do coach speak. But when you actually get behind the take, even if you're right or wrong, who cares if you're right? Say it with your chest and people are going to talk about you. So everyone, I remember my, my mother's a, a big NFL fan growing up in New England. So we, we watched a lot of NFL games. She really doesn't know much about college football at all. When I told her, yeah, UAB hired Fred Dilfer, she said, oh, that's the bald guy, right? I said, yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a household name for a lot of people. And I, I, I think if you can really bleed into this program what he's talked about service launch grow that's kind of their three-word catchphrase and um if they can play the way that they talk and they're going to be really good but uh that's still to be seen i, I think he's going to need a few years to get his recruits and his guys and to have uab to a place where they're really competing for an american athletic conference uh, championship Johnny Cogden from ABC 3340 is our guest. Interviews presented by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker Advantage Realty Group. Alabama's freshmen and newcomers report Wednesday of this week. Are there a few names that you were really, really interested in seeing the first couple of days that Crimson Tide is practicing? Absolutely. And I'll start with obviously the quarterback battle everyone wants to talk about, but I'm sure you guys have talked about it every day all summer. So let's ignore the quarterbacks for a second. And let's start in the backfield where Alabama's going to have a lot of big game guys that are going to have the opportunity to, I, I think without exaggeration, I think at least 
two guys in the backfield could rush for over a thousand yards this year. Obviously, mm. Jace McClellan, who could break off for seventy-five yards on any given snap. We've got unbelievable quick cut ability. He kind of gets to that next year. And then another guy that I'm obviously looking forward to watching is Justice Hayes coming in from Newport, Georgia, one of the highest ranked running back prospects in the nation. And then a guy that I covered in high school, I think Lars, last time I was on, I talked about Jamarian Miller, who is as dynamic and as complete a back as I've ever covered in high school. Tyler Legacy, big time high school football in East Texas. I mean, we, we got to see him a year ago in the A-Day game where he had the most touches in the entire backfield and really was one of the stars of that A-Day game. This year, not as much. And we saw him in glimpses last year in garbage time where I thought he played really well. So I think Alabama, and we didn't even touch about Roydell, Roydell Williams, of course, coming from Town, who was instrumental, especially in short yardage and goal line situations last year, played really well in that LSU game. That's another guy that just gives Alabama so much flexibility and so much depth at that position. And then on the defensive side of the football, obviously, they're loaded, but that secondary is what everyone's talking about. And the name that everybody likes to bring up is Caleb Williams, or excuse me, uh, Caleb Downs, the safety uh, also out of Georgia, who is just already drawing Nika Fitzpatrick comparisons. They said at SEC Media Days, Dallas Turner spoke with us and said that he looks the part, he's smart, puts in extra work, and yeah, I could certainly see him being a day one starter for the time. Yeah. Uh... I agree. I agree. And I think that um, the, the defense is being a little bit overlooked because uh, when you have so much talent on the back end, that is going to give uh, Nick Saban and Kevin Steele so much more flexibility to be creative uh, on, on, on the front. Um, and I, I think that may be a big reason why, along with the inexperience of quarterback, that we may see a shift in offensive philosophy. Um, sure. And I do want to. So, what are are you hearing anything more about? Again, sort of uh, this new look offense under Mike Reese. And then the second question is, um, who do you think is going to emerge as the go-to like wide receiver or you know down the field threat? Whether that's a, a, a again, it could be a tight end, wide receiver. Uh, just w- what are your thoughts on on that as well as uh, the shift in offensive philosophy? Well, I, if you go back two years ago when Mechie and uh, Jamison Williams both went down. Alabama wasn't working with a heck of a lot in the national championship game against arguably one of the greatest defenses college football has ever seen in that Georgia defense. They were relying on Slade Bolden and trying to get open in the slot, and that was kind of the, the white flag, so to speak, was waved midway through that fourth quarter when it just looked like Alabama didn't have the weapons to score. And now you look at last year's team, and I, I don't think people talk about how good Ja'Cory Brooks is. I mean... If Ja'Cory Brooks never plays another snap in the history of his college career, he's got one of the biggest catches in the history of the program uh-huh. from that 2021 Iron Bowl game when Bryce let him down the field and he made that catch in the corner of the end zone of Jordan Hare. I mean, this is a guy who year in, year out, has been as productive as anyone. Does uh, not afraid of the big moment. He, he played really well in that LSU game, making a big catch down the sideline. Obviously, that Iron Bowl year is fast. So I think he's really going to solidify himself as the number one receiver on this Alabama team this year. And then a receiver that people probably didn't fall in love with last year, but I thought finished really strong was Jermaine Burton, the Georgia transfer from two years ago. I thought he was one of their best players in that Sugar Bowl game against Kansas State. Uh, I, from what I've talked to people that follow the team and are around there closely, apparently he's been really team first. He's been in the weight room. He's been working out. 
that's a guy that has a desire to play on Sundays one day. And I, I think under this new offense where I believe play action is going to return, I mean, it wasn't so long ago when Alabama was one of the best play action teams in the country. Now it just seems like it's been running down these last few years with the two is the Jalen, the Max, and the Force Price. So I think if Alabama can establish that line presence that they've had basically for the entire existence of their programming can really, really start running the ball back to how they used to, that's just going to set up the play action game that, you know, back in 2015, Jacob Coker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is there uh, one player who kind of off the radar who you think uh, will emerge as someone that uh, everybody, not just Alabama fans, but everybody in the country is going to know about here in, uh, you know, a month or two? That would be an indication that we've lost our guests. But what we can do is it's perfectly time. We can take a break, come back, redial, reset, and he can finish or uh, ask, answer the question that Lars just posed. So uh, we can do all that. Thank you, Justin, being on your toes. We'll be back with more of Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Back on Big Noon Sports, it's Matt, Lars, Justin is uh, literally uh, spinning some plates back uh, back with us, and hopefully we've got Johnny Cogden with us. As, uh, hey, Lawrence, sorry guys, driving down 65 South and uh, lost it. My apologies. Uh, uh, no, hey, no. no, no, no worries at all. Thank you for your for your time, and uh, we just, we love having you on. Um, so what I was asking is, is there a uh, sticking with Alabama? And I do want to get to Auburn here in a second and what a great weekend Hugh Freeze has had or a great few days um, at, at Alabama. Is there one player who may not be on the fans radar right now who you think will emerge and uh, could be, uh, you know, a significant, uh, have a significant role this year, either on offense or defense for the Crimson Tide? Sure. And again, apologies. I don't know where I, where I left off, but I said everyone likes to talk about Jabari Brooks. And as I was saying earlier, I think he's got one of the biggest catches in the history of the program. If you go back to that Iron Bowl in 21, but a name that I don't think fans are expecting a whole heck of a lot of, because I don't think he had, a tremendous season last year, but came on strong at the end was Jermaine Burton, the wide receiver transfer from Georgia a year ago, who probably underachieved last year. I think that would be fair to say, but 
from people that I've talked to close to the program, uh, he has really dedicated himself. This is a player that wants to play on Sundays in the weight room, learning the playbook, trying to take that next step as a leader, which is something that he probably never envisioned himself embracing that role this soon. But that's a guy who I, I really think has a skill set that, that has the ability to play in the NFL one day. It's just if the production will match the attitude, which I believe is at an all-time high for him right now. So that's, that's a player that if Alabama can get a significant bump from him from what he had last season, I mean, you got him and Ja'Cory Brooks on the outside, not to mention the stable of running backs. I know when Bill O'Brien was here, he tried his best to utilize tight ends, which was his M.O. as the offensive coordinator in New England with, of course, then Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski, and then what he tried to do in Houston, which has been two tight end sets and been able to run the football. Obviously, that wasn't necessarily in the cards when you had a player like Bryce Young who you're going to let him, lack of a better term, just put in the shotgun and let, let him pick apart defenses. So I wouldn't be surprised if some tight ends tried to get involved this upcoming season, too. Although Tommy Reese, I mean, for a young, new-school kind of guy, he kind of has an old-school mentality when it comes to running the football, uh, making sure that you're in plus field goal position to be able to put points on the board because when you get to some of these big SEC games, I mean, last year in Tennessee, last year in LSU, I mean, missing a field goal early in this game and just offense putting you in a position to get points and give you plus advantages, that that's going to go a long way in these games on the road. And I know another team that Alabama fans probably aren't afraid of right now, but you're going to have to go on the road and play in Kyle Fields. If you were on that team two years ago, you know what that atmosphere is like, especially if it's a night game. And although if A&M has the athletes like Alabama, they don't necessarily coach them up the same. That's going to be a daunting atmosphere. But lucky for Alabama, a lot of these big-time games they're going to have inside Bryant Day this year. So I think a lot of people that are sleeping on Alabama, I, they don't lose at home, guys. I mean, you got to go all the way back to, oh, when I was a sophomore, uh, they lost them 15. Uh, I guess, yeah, the Joe Burrow game, my sports photographer, Chris Papelli, who has forgotten more Alabama football than Alabama know, just reminded me the Tua game against Burrow in 19. But I think before that, you have to go back to 2015 when Chad Kelly came in and beat Alabama, a game that Cooper Bateman started that I always say is great Alabama football trivia for people at home. But Alabama doesn't lose at home, guys. It doesn't happen. I don't need to tell you that. And Some of these big-time teams like LSU, like Texas, like Tennessee that are coming in here, I think they're going to find it very difficult to beat Alabama in back-to-back years when uh, they're playing at Bryce Denny Stadium. Hey, let's go to the other side of the state. Let's go to Auburn and talk some football there. Just first of all, is Peyton Thorne the guy at quarterback, or others thinking you know they're going to go with with uh, Robbie Ashford from Hoover, Alabama? So, quick thoughts on quarterback, and then maybe broader thoughts on uh, what Hugh Freeze has done, particularly here this weekend, where he flipped Perry Thompson. Yeah, quick on the quarterback. I, I think it's Thorne's job to lose. I don't think they bring him in here. More so, I don't think he agrees to come here without an assurance that he's going to have a fair shot to win the job. Now, Robbie Ashford's done everything right, everything you could ask him to do. He played through injury last year. He showed up at Hugh Freeze's introductory press conference. Very affable, very much wanting to, to assume that leadership role on the team. That being said, I don't feel like Hugh Freeze has reciprocated that love. He says he's been hired on their version of A-Day. In the offseason, we've asked him about Robbie Ashford, and he's played it pretty coy. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily means he won't win the job, but I, I think a guy like Peyton Thorne comes in, at least wins that job in camp and is the starter week one. So Auburn can try to start to build on something, have a little stability. 
after that mess of last year, starting T.J. Finley the first few games. Robbie Ashford comes in cold against Penn State, and they just got absolutely drilled. So I think a lot of schools like Alabama, you'll look at potentially using two, three quarterbacks week one against Middle Tennessee. I think Auburn wants a plan, and they want a guy week one. As far as what Hugh Freeze did on the recruiting trail last week, I mean, you know he's doing something good when people in Alabama are losing their minds, both online and people calling into sports radio. I mean, it's kicked off a lot of people in Tuscaloosa that they go in and not only take Demarcus Riddick, a kid who everyone thought was flipping from Georgia to Alabama, and then, of course, what they were able to do, it cuts even deeper. Terry Thompson has committed to Alabama, twisting the knife a little bit and getting him to flip to Auburn on Big Cat Weekend. They all throw Hugh Freeze in the pool on Instagram Live, and it's a big party down there right now. Now, the one thing I'll say to make Alabama fans feel a little better at ease is this Auburn roster on paper right now is not very good, and I don't think Auburn's going to win eight games this year. They could win seven. I don't see them winning eight games. So, in the future, though, uh, Ryan Brown said it last night on um, on the zone with us at ABC 3240. If Auburn wants to get serious, wants to have a chance to play in the playoff in years to come, and wants to continue to beat teams like Alabama and Georgia, these are the players they need to bring in. Because the way they've recruited the last two, three, four years, it's not going to cut it when it comes to beating the big boys in the upper echelon of college football. But I'll tell you right now, going to see Demarcus Riddick at practice last year down in Calhoun County, that kid is the real deal. I mean, he towered over his teammates and the minute we saw him, we asked his coach, he goes, that kid, uh, SEC material? And he said he's NFL material one day. He's no joke. And Auburn got themselves an absolute thudded outside linebacker. Their first five-star since Owen Papo back in 2019. So that should just show you wow. how unbelievably bare the cupboard has been in Auburn defensively. And uh, they're getting a real game record in Riddick. Yeah, and Auburn also just picked up a uh, offensive lineman from Northwestern uh, who has uh, got uh, some experience and, and could be like a, a plug-and-play type sure. of guy on what has been, you know, for the last, uh, man, many years, really the, the weak link on that entire Auburn team. But drilling down a little bit deeper into uh, Perry Thompson, the wide receiver, his, his flip, um, do you think that it, it, is it a, is it somewhat a function of the fact that you look at how Alabama has recruited wide receivers uh, the last uh, like two three years and with who they have in the class of twenty twenty four already. Uh, it's like if you want to if you're an Alabama fan and you want to look at this with you know uh, some optimism, is it you you want to say okay? there's going to be a much more competition for Perry Thompson at Alabama than there is Auburn. And maybe he's somebody who wants to, you know, uh, play right away. Obviously all these kids do, but also, you know, maybe uh, try to get into the NFL draft within three years. I mean, do you think there's some of that that happening with Perry Thompson? The, the fact that there is so much depth I mean, we haven't seen well, it right uh, yet on the field, but on paper, the Alabama receiving room looks really, really good. Absolutely, and more so than Perry Thompson, because outside of his quick commitment poolside on Instagram Live, I haven't heard him talk much, but I did listen to DeMarcus Riddick's comment, and he said, I'll be spending at least the next three to four years at Auburn University signifying that, hey, I have the NFL on my brain. And another reason he ended up choosing Auburn, I believe, is because he believes he can get on the field a lot sooner, which is fact. Auburn does not have as many good players right now as Alabama. If you're going to come to Alabama and you want to shine early, 
kind of like Will Anderson Jr. getting a sack in the SEC championship game in 2020 as a freshman. I mean, the chances of you making an impact in your name getting on the radar this year, you're going to have a much better shot doing that at Auburn than you are you're going to do it at Alabama. As far as the Perry Thompson flip goes, I don't think Alabama fans should start panicking and ripping their hair out because, you know, you got a guy named Ryan Williams down in the Mobile area who I saw in the 6 State Championship game last year against Mountain Brook, and I think he had four touchdowns in the first half. I mean, one of the best high school receivers I've ever seen. If Terry Thompson says, hey, I'm flipping, I'm going to USC, I'm going to Ohio State, I'm going to Michigan, I think there's, you know, fans aren't going to be happy about it, but they're not going to be pulling their hair out. He goes to Auburn. Okay, now now you got fans talking and you got fans upset. They're on the chat boards and message boards and they're they're they're, they're going all sorts of conspiracy theories because this poor kid's going to go play football 150 miles down the road in Lee County because that's the rivalry. And you know what? For Alabama fans that want to look at this with some optimism, it, it's a lot more fun when Auburn's better. Am I right? I know Lars. I know you're a Nebraska guy, but I, I went to Alabama. <laughs> I like to see Alabama and Auburn both succeed because that means that big Iron Bowl game is on national TV and it means something. And kids I went to high school with in Boston, Massachusetts, are texting me about it because they're excited to watch that game from a national perspective. So if I'm an Alabama fan, I don't want Auburn going four and eight. I don't want them missing bowl games. I want them good. I want that game to mean something. And I want the state of Alabama to once again return to the standard of college football, which it's not that far off. I mean, Everywhere Hugh Freeze has gone, he's won. Won 10 games. He's turned around every program he's been at, from Arkansas State to Liberty to Old Miss. And now he's got an opportunity to do it at Auburn. And so far, so good. Because in the last, let's say, six months, he's done more good for that program than Brian Harson did in two years. So there should be optimism for Auburn fans. I will say this, Johnny. You're the first Alabama or Alabama graduate I've heard who says they want Auburn to do well. I was just going to say, when I was growing up in the Midwest and in Nebraska, I always wanted Oklahoma to do well. I want all the teams in the old Big 8 to do well because it just it makes Nebraska look better. But here, it, it always seems to be a different dynamic where the two fan bases, uh, if, if uh, you know, they're not hoping that the other team is going to be successful week in and week out. Matt, go ahead. Well, let me, let me just tell you guys, that's because Johnny is from Boston. He's from New England. <laughs> if you're born and bred here, it's hate, hate, okay? Um, sure. And I know, I know some people that are in the fold here in the state of Alabama that say that, but I know they don't mean it. You say it, I believe you. Which, by the I way, I didn't grow up with the robbery. Red Sox, Yankees. I can't say a, a one darn yeah. nice thing about that team at Pittsburgh from the Bronx, but I completely <laughs> understand um, Alabama okay. fans and Auburn fans digging themselves into their corners and never giving an inch. But from a media perspective, I oh, mean, Lars, you've yeah. covered these before. You don't want to go to press yeah. conferences when a team is two and seven, and you're trying to ask about no. you know the no. backup line staffer mm-hmm. for a story. You want teams playing in meaningful games, winning ball games, and being talked about on Sports Center at night. So, as far as I'm concerned, I hope they're both undefeated until they play in the Iron Bowl. Absolutely, you're always rooting for the good story. Yes, and good stories don't uh, are not a result of a 56 to nothing drubbing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Johnny, uh, safe travels. Uh, tell your videographer hello for us. Work uh, uh, with do. and around that guy for a long time. But uh, have a good trip. Thanks for your info. We'll do it again soon. Guys, I appreciate it. Anytime. Appreciate you having me on.
Thank you, Johnny. This is great. Well, uh, I really, next I really hour, enjoy, we'll I enjoy talking to him. He's he's yeah. full of energy and insight. Uh, just really good guest. Uh, both our thirty-three forty guys have been gold. Um, Johnny, along with uh, Jeff Spiegel, watched him last night on uh, the Zone. Hey, uh, I have a big question concerning Alabama football this week, and it's not on the field, it's off the field, it's with Fan Day, and it's kind of stuck in my crawl, and I want to bring it up and then get your reaction next hour as we continue Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Hey, welcome back to the program. Big Noon Sports, Lars, Matt, Justin, and uh, we are presenting Uh, apologies for that little uh, technical issue going on um, and uh, we're gonna get it straightened out here in, in a second um, I did want to go over a disturbing story to me and it's personal um, very very personal and it has to do with uh, the brother of Aaron Hernandez um, uh, uh, Jonathan Hernandez. His, his real name is, is Dennis Hernandez. Uh, he has gone by DJ. 
Um, but when I was working with him, he went with Jonathan. He went by Jonathan. And uh, he, uh, obviously, the, the brother of Aaron Hernandez, the uh, former uh, tight end for the New England Patriots and uh, Florida Gators, um, who uh, was uh, convicted of murder. And then, uh, in, it says most sports fans know, um, he, uh, Aaron Hernandez, ended up taking his own life in prison. And it was about three weeks after uh, Aaron had died that uh, my literary agent called me and said that uh, Aaron Hernandez's brother had reached out to him and specifically said, hey, I'd love for uh, Lars Anderson to collaborate with me on a book about about Aaron, about my brother. And uh, so that, uh, I was interested, of course. I, I always love uh, telling um, anybody's story. I always wanna hear sort of the other side of the story. And, uh, and so um, after a little bit of, uh, of getting to know each other over the phone, uh, Jonathan and I um, uh, whipped up a uh, book proposal and uh, <clears throat> got a, a book deal with uh, one of the major publishers in New York. And then I traveled up to uh, Jonathan's hometown of uh, Bristol, Connecticut, and he lived uh, not far from where he and Aaron grew up. And we actually went to the house where they grew up, went to their high school, talked to the high school coaches, talked to friends of their dad. Uh, their dad died um, when they were both pretty young. <clears throat> and that was a, I think, a triggering event for uh, Aaron Hernandez. But um, it, it was a it was a very difficult book to write because uh, Jonathan was still just uh, dealing with the immense grief of losing his brother, and um, I think it was hard for him to really open up to me and share what he needed to share because there was a, an immense amount of pain that he was still dealing with. And, um, and so it, it was really uh, probably not, uh, how do I say this? It was the most difficult book I've ever had to write, um, mainly because of the absolute darkness of the subject matter that we were uh, going over and writing about and digging into and then also the reluctance of Jonathan just to completely kind of unburden himself in the pages of this uh, of the book that uh, again that we're working on it's called the truth about Aaron and um you know the book came out and it, it did reasonably well and not 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 the you know uh, not as well as we probably would have hoped or the publisher would have hoped frankly i was just really happy to be done with it because uh jonathan and i did most of our work at night and um we would have these conversations about some really again we went to dark places and it, it was it was hard. It was really really hard, 
Um, and it was hard to like separate that. I just had, uh, I think my, my girls had just been born. And so uh, it, it was just, it was a difficult time to uh, try to have as, as a writer, you always want to um, show as much compassion and empathy for the person that you're uh, working with as possible. And so um, that I really felt that uh, for a while there, I was a part of the Hernandez family. And so uh, um, Matt and I talked about this just real briefly uh, last week, but um, <clears throat> Jonathan, he was charged on Friday uh, down in, in federal court in Hartford, Connecticut with, uh, with new counts of uh, threatening and stalking after authorities say that he threatened to uh, shoot up the University of Connecticut and kill three people in another state. And as we speak, um, Jonathan, who now is, uh, I guess, going by Dennis, uh, he is in custody uh, after he was held in custody after the court appearance, and uh, he's still in custody. And uh, then these new charges came just a few days after it was revealed that Jonathan was arrested on July 18th on state charges after police said he threatened to kill uh, some police officers and um, and there obviously there was concerns about his mental health um, and uh, he also said that um, uh, in, in court filings, it says that Jonathan, who um, describes himself as a writer, uh, is struggling financially. He's frustrated at seeing other people uh, get hired as coaches. Jonathan wants to coach. He played UConn, uh, quarterback at UConn. And um, he said uh, that he, uh, according to court filings, again, this is by the, the police saying this, that, quote, He's planning on taking down everything, unquote, and doesn't care, quote, who gets caught in the crossfire. And he also sent a, a text message on July 7th that said, quote, I've died for years now, and now it's other people's turn. Um, and so I had uh, contact with Jonathan not, not long ago, and he actually texted me during our radio show and um, he uh, um, essentially said, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, and I just told him that uh, oh, I'm, I'm doing my show. Is everything OK? You want to talk after? And he just texted me back saying, everything's great, brother. Love you. And that was the last I heard from him. And it just, uh, it, it's hard for me to reconcile what I'm reading here about him with the person that I know and the person who I came to grow very, very close to. But then I go back to um, why this book was so challenging to write. It's because it, it, it took place just uh, weeks after his brother had passed away. The, the shadow of his brother's death was still sort of looming over us. and. You know, he never opened up to me fully. That's what I felt, that he just, he was holding something back. And, and 
and I never saw this dark side of, of Jonathan at, at all. Um, again, like uh, he he and I, we. Looks like we might have lost both Matt and Lars again. At least I'm here, got this mic working. We're going to try and get Lars and Matt back. We're actually going to just make it easy on us, and we'll ro roll to break. And then when we come back, we should have uh, Russell Bronham, and we'll be able to talk some more sports um, right here on Tide 100.9, your home for Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. The this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private Hello. barrels, our Hello, selection Lars. of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A little more comfortable this afternoon, but it won't last long. Partly cloudy, hot and humid this afternoon. Slight chance of an afternoon shower storm. We're topping out around 95 today, dropping down to 71 overnight tonight. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and hot. A small chance of an afternoon shower storm in a daytime high of 93. Meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 90 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis right. on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. I was trying to move on, man. I, I just, I, I kept... Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Hall Mortgage. It's Matt, it's Lars, and we'll be joined by Russell Branham of the Talladega Super Speedway here in just a minute. Uh, and Justin Jones is at the controls. And there are some days where I think you can kind of kick back, put it on autopilot, and be quite honestly behind the scenes. There are other days where you're taking gunfire from every direction. <laughs> and, uh, thank you, Justin, for your patience and what you do, because uh, behind the scenes is what it's all about. What Lars and I do is the easy part. Joining us now from the Talladega Super Speedway is Russell Brannon, who has uh, been traveling up and around, but it's about time to get down to business as we are coming up on the Yellowwood 500 weekend. Uh, Russell, we hadn't talked in a while. You and I have, but not on air. Catch everybody up with what you've been doing and, and where you are in the NASCAR family. Well, you know what? We've had a great season so far, Matt and Lars. It's um, very, very competitive. Um, most of the guys that you think are going to be in the playoffs are, are, are there. We've got some that have to claw their way in. One of those is our defending Yellowwood 500 champion, Chase Elliott. So, um, you know, Chase had to sit out a few uh, events, um, one because of uh, some action on the track, and then the others he got in an accident uh, skiing earlier this year. So um, right now he's 40 points below the cut line. And so all eyes are on him with four races to go uh, until the playoffs begin. Um, the one good thing is when they go to Daytona at the end of August, that's the final race of the regular season. So that race, anyone can win that event. Last year, uh, Austin Dillon went down there. He was not in the playoffs, and he won the race that he got in. So um, can Chase claw his way in via points? 
or can he win a race is going to be the big question. But we've had another great season. You know, the, the, the next generation car has provided some incredible racing. We've had a lot of uh, tempers flaring on the racetrack uh, this year. Um, you know, good gosh. Uh, Denny Hamlin right now is, is uh, enemy number one to a lot of drivers, uh, especially Kyle Larson. Um, yeah. So um, it's been great drama, you know, and uh, to be able to have that uh, in our sport, you know, any sport likes to have the good guys and the bad guys and controversy and and we've had a lot of the controversy stuff that's been going on this year and uh, the racing's really been good we had a great hit at chicago at the street race um just really had a lot of just people just pumped up and psyched up after that event uh, you never know what you're going to get for a first time event and that was the first time ever that they had competed on a, a street road course and uh, it was historic and it proved to be a tremendous success but um you know coming back to talladega uh, here in just a few weeks, September 30th, October 1st, we'll have the Craftsman Truck Series and also the NASCAR Cup Series uh, playoffs for both entities. And, you know, can Kyle Busch win again? He won in the spring. Uh, can Ryan Blaney uh, come back? You know, he and Bubba Wallace got into it on the last lap, sort of gave Kyle that win. So can one of those guys come back and win? Or will we see Chase Elliott win it? He could be a spoiler in the playoffs if he doesn't make it. So uh, just been a lot of great drama this year within NASCAR and, and looking forward to uh, having everyone back here this fall i love to talk about talladega stories and uh i mean there's a a a book there uh and and one of them is uh the fan who stole the pace car in 1986 okay can you can you tell our listeners about that because I, i actually i've heard bits and pieces of it matt and i have talked about it a little bit but can you can you give us the uh, authoritative account of what happens? <laughs> well, you know, before a race starts, the cars are lined up on pit road, and of course, the pace car is lined up in front of them. Uh, there are more of those vehicles that are out there today. We have some you know, VIPs that ride around, etc. But back then, you had the starting lineup, and right in front of them was the pace car. Well, the guy who was driving the pace car left the keys in it. And there was a guy, it was his first time ever to Talladega. He was just driving by. And somehow, he got through the gate, got down on pit road, saw the car, saw the keys in it, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go for a drive. And he cranked (laughs) it up and just went out on the racetrack and made a couple laps. Of course, uh, there was pandemonium and so all of a sudden you see security folks, track trucks, etc. go down near turn four and basically create a, a, a big block. And so when he comes around there, he really doesn't have anywhere to go. And so he stops. And needless to say, the, the law enforcement officials and other folks there, I mean, he was taken out very quickly and retained very quickly and put into a, a sheriff's uh, car and taken away. Um, needless to say, that's never happened again at a racetrack. You know, lessons <laughs> are always learned. <laughs> you know, yeah, lessons are always him. learned. They pulled him out by his mullet. Uh, I have have a feeling they didn't treat him with kid gloves either, be my guess. They they did not. You know, a few years ago, I I was trying to get him to come back here and let's do something, some kind of a PR stunt. Um, but but that didn't happen. I don't think he, he didn't really want to do that uh, to relive that. From what I understand, he actually went to jail for a while um, as a result yeah. of that. I, I I don't know the, the the exacts on that, but I'll tell you this. Talladega has, like you said, Lars, Talladega's got so many different stories over the years, competitive-wise, a lot of weird things that have happened, you know, 
sand and salt and gas tanks and I mean we've had all kinds of things that have happened here and when you talk to a lot of those drivers from back in the 80s they always remember the day that the pace car got yeah. stolen <laughs> hey um for those that have never been there and for those that have been there um, tell everybody what you're going to be doing this Saturday. I've done it several times. Did it with my son many years ago, and now I've done it with my grandsons. But for a small donation to charity, you can have one of the times of your life. Just go ahead and take it from there, Russell. We just have so many people that say, Hi, what can we do to take a lap around the racetrack. So we've come up with a way that we feel like is very uh, advantageous to let someone do that, but also be able to create some funding where we can put it back into the community for a charity. So pretty much from nine to one this coming uh, Saturday, you can come out of the racetrack, um, and you can go out and you can make three laps at highway speed. We'll have a safety truck that will lead all the cars. And we're going to try to categorize the cars. We're going to try to put, you know, if, if, if someone says, you know, I don't really want to go fast, okay, we're going to put you in this group. The other ones that want to go the highway speed, we're going to put you in this group. So you'll be able to go out on, in your own personal vehicle, go out and make three laps, um, and do something that no one else really has been able to do in the past, you were able to feel the, the magnitude of the 33 degrees of that banking, which is tremendous, around a 2.66-mile track, the biggest track that there is oval-wise in NASCAR. And you're able to do things that you're, you're able to go around the same racetrack that the greats of NASCAR did. You know, Dale Earnhardt Sr., Richard Petty, Jeff Gordon, the list goes on and on and on of guys that have won here, the Allisons, the Alabama gang. Um, but all the money that we raise, every every event we have, we name a charity. So this Saturday is going to go to the Alabama Firefighters Association, which they do a lot of different great things within this state. They do a lot of education to a lot of different fire departments, especially in areas where maybe there's not a lot of people there. There may not be a lot of funding there to educate and make sure that everyone can have a really good feeling about the firefighters and the firefighter, uh, the fire departments there. So um, we're really excited about the Firefighters Association being a part of it, but we're most excited, too, just about being able to have people come out here and enjoy this racetrack if you've never been here before listen we we just took a group of of teachers from lincoln elementary school around in two school buses not on the banks but down on the bottom and gave them a little tour they they, they just loved it and just to be able to see the magnitude of this racetrack and then to know that we're going to be raising money for this charity is, is, is fantastic but again you can go to talllegosuperspeedway.com to learn more you can go ahead and do your pre-event you can go and sign in now and pay for those and you can do as many uh different times as you want to i mean you may say okay i want to do three laps hey, i want to do 12 laps We'll say those tickets as well. So uh, just come on out and enjoy yourself. And, and hey, the other great thing, too, guys, if you haven't seen the $50 million project that we did, the Talaga Garage Experience, once you get finished with the laps, you can go and take a tour inside, go to Victor Lane, have your picture taken with the, the Vulcan Trophy, which goes to all the cup winners. We'll have the uh, Yellowwood 500 pace car in there as well. Um, just a way to come in, we'll have some refreshments and, and, and hot dogs and all that kind of thing. Uh, you can really just go in and have a good time on Saturday, and it benefits a great charity. You mentioned that uh, Talladega is uh, 2.66 miles. Um, and that obviously, uh, for those of us who cover the sport, it makes it the the longest uh, track, and I think that NASCAR has ever raced on. Uh, the other two uh, are uh, its two main competitors have been uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and Daytona, and Pocono, two and a half, and, and Pocono. Yes, yes. Um, 
Is there a reason why that was were, were the builders and owners of the track trying to make a statement like, hey, we are going to be the biggest, baddest, fastest track in the country? Lars, I love that you've you've taken on that the biggest, baddest, fastest. That's that we've started saying that always now. That came up with that a few years ago, and it's and it's stuck, which is great. Listen, Bill France Sr., who created NASCAR back in 1948, he built Daytona National Speedway, and they had the first 559. Well, he wanted to do something a little bit bigger. So he wanted Daytona two and a half miles. Let's go a little bigger. Talladega is going to be 2.66 miles. Daytona was banked 31 degrees. We're going to make Talladega 33 degrees. We're going to make it bigger, steeper, and faster. It was a palace of speed, what he had had envisioned, and that's exactly what he got. He wanted to see easy 200-mile-per-hour marks, and that's exactly what he got here. So the other thing that's really cool about this racetrack, most racetracks that you go to, the finish line is either going to be in the center of the front straightaway or the center of the trioval on the front side. Here, he said, I've got to sell tickets down toward turn one because it was beyond where the pits were. How am I going to sell tickets down there? So he put the finish line down about 1,250 feet from the center of the trioval down toward turns one, and that's where he put the start-finish line. Needless to say, over the years, there have been many races that have been won and lost between that trioval and that start-finish line. Countless races. The dude that was leading when he came through the trial didn't mean he was going to be leading at the start-finish line. So it really created something that was unique and dynamic to the sport. And no matter that anyway, this racetrack it has its own uniqueness. It's, it's a one-of-a-kind, best racing on the planet, uh, best experience for a fan. We've almost sold out now of all of our infield camping. So if anyone's listening and wants to get a camp spot, I urge you to get it quickly. Um, it, it's it's a great time on the infield for ages, you know, two to ninety nine. So um, we, we we can't wait. It's a, it's going to be a great. The, the Love's RV Stop two fifty for the truck series will be going on Saturday, and then of course the Yellowwood five hundred on Sunday. So lots of cool things coming up. One of the cool things is the Talladega Garage Experience, which you mentioned just a little bit ago. When you all started that, you started doing driver interviews, and we were uh, um, nice enough to ask me to do those. And there's one driver that I think has been to every interview session, and his name is Chris Busher. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to see him win at Richmond because – and a lot of drivers have come over there. I, I, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm, I'm putting him on a pedestal. But he's one of the nicest guys I've ever been around. And there's a lot of guys in this sport that can, you know, just be a you-know-what. And he is not a you-know-what. In, in fact, he's one of the most pleasant persons I've ever been around in my life. Were you glad to see him win yesterday? I was. Well, I, I'm glad to see him win for a number of reasons. He's a great guy, uh, does a lot of things to support the racetrack and NASCAR as a whole. Um, Brad Keselowski has come over to Roush Racing and, and, and is putting Roush now, you know, Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing back to where Roush Racing used to be. And that was being competitive and winning races on a, on a daily, on a weekly basis. So I'm very excited for that. I mean, you know, Brad has won here six times at Talladega. So we have a great friendship with him and so glad that he's been able to I mean, look at the chance he took. He leaves Team Penske where he's won a championship, won a lot of races, and he's going to go and try to take a chance and be a, a team owner just like his dad was and his grandfather was. So to be able to see that, and I think he's had a very good effect too on Chris, 
those two have really connected, and they they make a very good team. And that then Roush, Fenway, uh, Keselowski racing as a whole is really coming back. And I, I'm just I'm glad to see it. it. Listen, anytime Jack Roush's team is back where it needs to be, that's a plus. And, and because he's been a mainstay in this sport, you know, since the late '80s. The late great Dale Earnhardt Sr. Uh, once said that he could see the air. And that's what made him such a great restrictor plate racer. What, in your estimation, makes one driver, like you mentioned Brad has won six times at Talladega. Um, what, what makes a racer successful at, uh, at, uh, at, again, the fastest track, the longest track of NASCAR? I think it's a number of things, Lars. I think it's, you know, when do you make your move? And who do you make the move with? Um, in the day's racing, you've got to have help to be able to, to win some of these events. Um, you have to have drafting, a drafting partner. So, you know, Brad Keselowski, I mean, he's won races before where he had a, you know, a Chevrolet behind him. He, some races he's won where he had a Ford behind him and, and a Toyota behind him. So it's being able to sort of maneuver your way through a race find out who some of the good cars are to draft with um, and then at the very end if you think you know who that person is have that person either pull you or push you to where you need to be and that's what the, a lot of these drivers are doing through through these races in the first 400 miles they're experimenting they're trying to see exactly who's good who's not um, and then you know a lot of luck has to come into it as well but I'll say this you don't win 10 races at Talladega by luck. You don't win six races at Talladega by luck, just like Jeff Gordon did and Brad and Dale Earnhardt Jr. have all won six. So uh, I think it's just sort of learning over time, gaining experience, learning who the competitors are, learning who those guys are that can help you the best, and then just being smart when able to make that right move. Russell, again, how can people find out more about what you're doing on Saturday? I think the best way is just go click on the website. We'll, we'll have it on all our social media channels, plus the website, TalladegaSuperSpeedway.com. We'd love to have you out. The weather's going to be great. Come see us and support the Alabama Firefighters Association. Everything we raise goes straight to them. We get no money. It all goes straight to them. As usual, fantastic job. Thanks, yeah, for Russell. thanks for joining uh, us. I'll see thanks you in so. a couple of months, if not before. You will. And, Lars, you come see us again. It's been a while since you've been here. Come on. Yeah. All right. I'm coming. All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Matt, sorry, Matt, I was just going to say, I I, I love the point that he just made about finding the right drafting partner. And I think, like, one of Jimmy Johnson's big secrets as to why he won uh, more championships than anyone else was because he didn't have any enemies in the garage. And so people would be willing to work with him at a place like Talladega. Do you, do you buy into that? Like, I buy like into it, that a little bit, but uh, you, you know, also you want to win. Couple, you yeah, you yeah. get the last couple <laughs> laps. Yeah, but uh, it also helped that uh, he was racing for Hendrick Motorsports and that he was a pretty darn good driver in his own right. Yeah, but yeah, as they used to call it, I guess they still you got to find a dancing partner. And these days, um, they seem to pay more attention to finding a manufacturer than I think that they used to. Used to, they just hook up with anybody to get them, push them, uh, pull them to victory lane. But, hey, uh, good segment with Russell, Talladega Super Speedway. Got a couple other topics. Uh, conference expansion is, seems to always be in the news. That's next on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing.
Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on yet another warm afternoon in Birmingham, Alabama and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Aniston Gadsden, thanks all of you for listening. You can stream us through uh, the Tide 100.9 website or you can go to bignoonsports.com and also encourage you to join us via phone and maybe particularly about this this subject because I'd like to hear how people feel about it. Um, the situation is this, that Alabama's going to have Fan Day this weekend. And uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm not sure how much it actually ended up on the air. So I'm just going to repeat it uh, parenthetically. Um, Fan Day is this Saturday. Uh, that's when you can go get autographs from the, the players and the coaches. And it's always been a really, really cool day. They're, they're bringing it back because they have not had it since the pandemic. And, but they're bringing it back with a, with a condition that um, you have to buy an $18 collective membership in their NIL program at the University of Alabama. And you can bring one child, um, if I read that correctly. So for 18 bucks, it looks like an adult and a child can get in there and perhaps get an autograph from Nick Saban. Um, I understand the entire idea and competitive nature of forming a large collective in order to just keep up. And Alabama has to keep up at a different level. That means a different level financially. But there's something about not doing this for absolute free, Lars, that bugs me. And I don't know if I'm out of line, but I'd like to, I'd like to know what you and Justin and anybody that has a thought on this that wants to call in at 205 342 9904. Lars. Yeah, uh, it bothers me too. And uh, I, I've always marveled at, at Fan Day. And, uh, you know, when the gates are open, I've written about this many times, the gates are open and, man, the, uh, it's like the equivalent of the running of the bulls to get to Nick Saban on the opposite end of Brian Denny and to his table. 
Uh, and I, I've talked to, uh, you know, so many different Alabama fans over the years who have made that sprint on fan day to get to Nick Saban. And it's uh, it, sometimes it's not pretty, Matt. I mean, I'm sure you, no. you know what I'm talking about. But Well, uh, it's like, uh, you know, the, the guy that played um, uh, 30 years ago, he was a left guard for his local high school team. He's probably mm-hmm. not kept himself in really good shape. Uh, but no, he's down set hut. He's sprinting 100 yards across <laughs> the field. And by the time he gets there, he's just gushing. He's out of breath. But that was cool. But now in yeah. order to do that, you got to shell out a 20 or almost. Yeah. And, and so what I thought the beauty of fan day and the beauty of the spring game for so long has been is that it's given access to Alabama football to people that may not have the financial means to go to games during the season. And, uh, I mean, we all know how uh, how expensive it is and uh, just in all the other, not just to attend the game, but the, the costs of getting there and if you have to stay the night. And, and it, it just makes it sort of cost prohibitive, frankly, for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, and so I always have viewed... Um, fan days, not just at Alabama, but at other schools across the country, uh, as these terrific moments where uh, a father, um, you know, who, uh, who maybe is just, uh, you know, he's just working his tail off uh, nine to five or night shift. Uh, and, and this is his chance to bring his young son uh, to 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 get up and close and and meet Nick Saban and and get his autograph and and make uh, people who have somehow you know just I, I don't want to say that they don't feel a part of Alabama football but it, it's just it, it's harder to to uh, for you know certain people to 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 make it there uh, it be because of again the, the the financial commitment you have to make. And so I hate it. I hate it when that is uh, being stripped away a little bit um, because, uh, again, like this is a, a time and, and trust me, I, I've literally talked to hundreds of people uh, before fan day and, and lining up over the years. And the vast majority of the people who go to fan day, Matt, they do not hold season tickets. Right. That is true. Brian wants to comment. Big Noon Sports. Brian, you're on the air. All right. I'd like to comment. I think that Lars put it well, but it's just another way to exclude the real fans from the game. Like when you go to buy a ticket, you got to go through a third party and pay 60 to $75 just to get a ticket over the ticket price. Oh, that bothers yeah. me on every level. You have to do it for concerts. You have to do it for plays, theater, uh, and football games. And um, yeah, it's a it's a racket. It's a racket. Brian, I, <laughs> I think you are of age where you remember. I mean, Alabama football is so special to parts of this state, and that's it's a very important part of their life. But they're probably not your corporate guy out of um, Mobile, Alabama that can afford a box season tickets and, and all the wonderful extras that you can and that's great if you can afford them but uh, the Alabama fan base 
is and has been for a long, long time made up of a lot of people that, you know, that even today, Brian's $18 is a little bit of money to them. And uh, it's, I think it's a bad look. Yeah, you got another thought on this, Brian? I agree. I can remember going to the free uh, SEC championship game and paying $75 for a 30-yard line ticket in the Georgia Dome. And it's just gotten outrageous to where I can't afford to go. Yeah, uh, that is a, a, a common um, complaint that I hear uh, from college football fans, not just in the state of Alabama, but all over the country. And uh, this goes with uh, really all big time sports, Matt. It's yeah. that it's that uh, you're squeezing out the, the like, almost the, the middle class. And, you're, and, and, and and also, you know, others, uh, the working class, because it is so costly to go. And the the best seats, are the box seats, right, are uh, it's all corporate. And, and it's people who don't really, you know, may not follow Alabama football or or uh, whatever team it is that you're going to watch. It's, uh, it's a way to reward people who are working for a corporation. So... Um, yeah, I, I don't like that. And that's why I've always viewed fan day as something like very pure, you know, and, uh, Good word. and, and, and you remember, you know, Nick Saban's first spring game, who can ever forget it? Of those of us who were there 2007 and Bryant Denny was sold out. I mean, they had, they literally like people were, uh, uh, in the aisles, because they, they couldn't get seats. They were sitting in the aisles. They were, you know, squatting everywhere around. Just all they wanted to do is get a glimpse of Nick Saban at this glorified practice. But I, re- I vividly recall this. Like, just when Nick Saban first came out onto the field the first uh, uh, for that spring game, and again, uh, at that time, uh, there was uh, no cost uh, for a ticket. Um they, the fans raised a roar. I swear, it rolled like thunder for miles and miles and miles. It may have been the loudest I've ever heard Bryant Denny when Nick Saban first came out onto the field for that first, um, that first time that he was sort of uh, viv- visibly seen doing his job. And uh, the, I would be willing to venture that the majority of those fans who were in the seats that day were not season ticket holders. And again, they made more noise than I've ever heard come out of Brian Denny. And that was in spring practice. Yeah, hey, I was Brian. there. You, you I were was there? there? I was, and it was hot. But <laughs> the last- it was hot. The last thing I'll add is, you know, we're the ones that buy the merchandise and we're getting squeezed out of actually going to the game. Yeah, and the merchandise isn't cheap either. <laughs> hey, Brian, great phone call. Thanks for contributing. Do do so again. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Macon. I'm assuming that's in Georgia. You want to talk about hot. How hot is it there, George? It is right now 93 degrees. Of course, I'm driving in the shade right now, so that's not the case. 
Chris, I got two quick stories. Um, first off, uh, I, it does disappoint me that fan day to get on the on the um, grass to be able to get um, in or autographs and they're charging. That does bother me. If they were doing it for a charity, that would be one thing. But to do it for the collective, for giving you know money to the players, who I think you know I'm very deserving, but. That's Scholarship is their own way, um, but that does bother me. That because what you're doing is when you let people come for free, you're creating fans. You know, yeah. I'm I'm much older than most people, and I can remember going to the spring game when Bear Bryant was there, and I remember seeing Paul Spivey, and I was disappointed in his game. Go for free spring game. Now, granted, you can go to the spring game for free now. But, um, you know, whatever little money they're getting for the collective for paying, you know, making people pay to get it on the grass is, is not worth it. And my next little quick story, you all were talking about uh, Talladega. I remember, of course, I was in high school when Talladega was built. My parents, we went to the first uh, race. And that was the race that Richard Petty, you know, started a um, boycott because they didn't think the back stretch, the back stretch was safe going at 204, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 miles an hour. And so, and also me being from Birmingham, I, I love the Alabama gang, Bobby and Donnie Allison and Red Farmer in that group. And so um, I was always been a fan of those guys, but Richard Petty, I never did like. And I, I, I had, I lived in Daytona for like three years, and the guy I played poker with was a sports editor of the Daytona um, um, uh, newspaper. And we were talking. He says, "George, speed weeks this week. You know, why don't you come with me?" I said, "I'm not going to go with you because I'll see Richard Petty, and I can't stand him." Went through the whole thing. He said, "Come on and go." And so I went. And this was like the, the first week of Speed Week when they were testing the cars and everything. And he sees Richard Petty. He said, Richard, come here. I want you to meet George. He can't stand you. <laughs> and I said, man, come on. Awesome. Come on. This is between me and you. And so I talked to him, and he was the nicest guy in the world. And Cale Yarbrough would go, but hey, Cale, I want you to meet George. And I told him why I didn't much like him, because I'm from Birmingham and the Alabama game. And you boycotted, you know, Talladega. But after it was all over, I said, you know what? Now I know why they call you King Richard. Because he was as nice to me as you could possibly be. And when there were some tires over there, hey, George, sit down on the tires and let's chat. And everybody that went by, you know, hey, come meet George. I mean, it was a really a cool thing. I just thought I wanted to share that with you. I'm glad you did. It's a great story. Yeah, great story. Um, the, there was a significant rivalry between Petty and the Alabama gang, and particularly with, with Bobby. Um, but they all yeah. wanted to kick his butt um, because they all knew, and boy, I could step into a NASCAR hole here. They all knew that for the most part, Petty was, Petty was a fantastic driver, maybe the best ever. But Petty was getting better parts. Yeah, he was. Great, you great know, call, Jordan. I can remember, I mean, there was a time when every week there was a race, he would win. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I don't know how many he ever, what the record is about winning consecutive races, 
But um, he would all, I mean, it's got to be, uh, you know, a bunch. But also, I'm agreeing with y'all about the, you know, I, I can't believe that whatever they're going to make on fan day to make people pay to get on the grass and get autographs, I can't believe it's going to be worth it. And that's kind of my take on it, guys. Well, and really, I really enjoy our show. Thank you. Evidently, you're not alone. Uh Thanks for listening, George, and call again. We'll take our final break and come back and wrap up the Monday edition of Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A little more comfortable this afternoon, but it won't last long. Partly cloudy, hot and humid this afternoon. Slight chance of an afternoon shower or storm. We're topping out around 95 today, dropping down to 71 overnight tonight. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and hot. A small chance of an afternoon shower or storm in the daytime high of 93. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 87 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Appreciate everybody dialing us in and wrap it up with a couple things that we did not hit on, Lars. And one of them is Arizona. It looks like they're going to the Big 12. Um, as Claykoff and the Pac-12 administrators just uh, shove this conference off into the Pacific Coast? Yes. Okay. Next subject. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Wanna, no, no. I, I'm just gonna. It has become becoming increasingly clear that the Pac-12 is not going to survive. And, and a lot and of it's it, of their own demise. Yeah, oh, in yes. My opinion. Yeah. It, it goes back to uh, Larry Scott, the former uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, when uh, he was uh, approached by uh, the Big 12, which at the time had Texas and Oklahoma. Hey, let's, let's, let's merge, let's join forces. And he, uh, for starters, he didn't like that Texas had the Longhorn Network. That was like a big uh, sticking point for him. And so he decided that that was not going to be a good deal in the long term for the Pac-12. And his uh, decision not to do that may go down as one of the worst decisions in the history of college football decisions. I don't know. Not good. Not good. Uh, And I I get retrospect, you know, 2020. But, uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, Pac-12 is... uh, on the on the brink of uh, as you mentioned and very well put of falling into the Pacific Ocean. 
Lars, I'm going to wrap it up on a really, really high good note. Uh, over the weekend, I was just flipping around. Karen and I are kind of watching some TV, and there wasn't anything on, except I flipped over to the SEC network, and boom, 2016 Alabama Clemson. And I'm watching that. First of all, just a sidebar, Your Honor. Um, Karen goes, how can you just keep watching the same game over and over again? You know what's going to happen? I said, Karen, how many times have you watched Best in the Show? End of conversation. Um, you familiar with that movie? It's one of my all-time favorites, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you'll stop and watch it again, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I think I made my point. But Alabama kicked a field goal to tie the game at 24-24, and then one of the best calls in Alabama football history, they did the onside kick in which Marlon Humphrey caught the ball in this specific place where they had noticed that Clemson mm -hmm. didn't have a cover guy, and he caught it. And while it was still a close game, that flipped it. And it gave Alabama the uh, uh, momentum and just enough to hold Clemson off because Clemson scored late, made it 45-40, but Alabama went on to win. But I just remember watching the replays and thinking, what a brilliant, gutsy call, and it won him a national championship. That, Nick Saban won that game. With that call, he was the one in hours and hours of film study that noticed that. Like when Clemson lines up in a, in a certain way, uh, that there is a huge gap right there. And you got Marlon Humphrey, who is now the probably uh, the best cornerback in the NFL. And it was uh, Adam Griffith, right? Who just yep. the perfect, perfect onside kick. I, I to this day, if I were to go with one call that Nick Saban made, that's it. Because that won him the national championship. And I'll say the, the highlight of my weekend, and I, and I buried the lead because we talked about this at the beginning, is uh, on, on Sunday, storms were rolling through Alabama. And, and my kids, they just uh, they kind of wanted to hunker down in, 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 my, uh, in my bedroom. And so we're, we're all in there, all just, uh, you know, uh, like sardines in, in my bed. And, uh, and Lincoln, my eight-year-old, is flipping around. And boom, he goes to Talladega Nights. And it turns out it's the scene of Matt Coulter. And, and Lincoln, unprompted from me, he said, that's Mr. Matt. That's Mr. Matt. Really? And, that, and that's why I took the pictures really quick, and I, I sent them to you and Joe. I'm sure you saw them. I, I took some I pictures. I of, yeah, yeah. So, I, and I didn't put any uh, story behind it, but all my kids were just like, oh, my gosh, we know somebody famous. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a really cool moment. Uh, it was a cool moment. And uh, my kids were a little bit older, but I was really popular in the Vescavia Hill school system for a while. I bet. That was one thing their old man did that the kids like talking about. All right, we got to get out of here. We will talk to you again tomorrow in 22 hours. You've been listening to Big Noon Sports. Thank you, Lars. Stay safe, everybody.